Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello. And welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. Coming up in this half hour, environmental correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, about what's going on in the Indiana legislature this year regarding matters directly impacting our ecosystem. And now for your environmental reports. The Indiana legislature has done the bidding of the coal interest and made rooftop solar power much less attractive. Since 2004, the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission has required the state's five investor-owned for-profit utility companies to offer net metering to all electric customers. The policy allowed those customers to sell their extra energy back to utilities at the same rate utilities charge customers for electricity. A bill approved by legislators in 2017 started to phase out that system, with the official end date landing in July 1, 2022. Now, all five investor-owned utilities have been approved for instantaneous metering. The system lets utilities charge customers the retail rate for power they use from the grid. Energy customers send back to the utility is then bought at the lower wholesale rate. Add it all up and the new lower rates represent some of the most dramatic cuts to net metering policies in the country, according to Ben Inskeep, Program Director of Citizen Action Coalition of Indiana, the state's largest consumer and environmental advocacy organization. Quote, we really are an outlier in terms of having really terrible rooftop solar compensation policies in place, end quote, he said. It's much much worse than many states in the country, and it's worse than any of our neighbors. The legislators have amply proven that they have no interest in taking steps necessary to mitigate climate change. The massive fire that broke out in, at a recycling facility in Richmond, Indiana on Tuesday, prompting the evacuation of citizens and residents within a half a mile radius of the property, was contained to the site. Water from the dousing of the fire was to be contained on the site for treatment. The facility, which stored plastic for resale, was repeatedly cited by the city of Richmond for the state of the building and grounds as a fire hazard, but ignored those citations according to Richmond Mayor Dave Snow and was recently ruled against in court. EPA and health department officials assured the public that threats from particulate matter could affect the elderly, those with chronic health conditions like COPD and asthma. And though the smoke was sure to include carcinogenic compounds, the 24-hour monitoring equipment did not detect harmful levels in the air and the water supply. The plume of burning plastic could, however, <coughs> be hazardous to pulmonary health 
of both people and pets. Residents were advised that N95 masks would help filter out particulates and advised to not mow debris blown from the site into their yards as it may contain things like asbestos insulation and other toxic materials. Richmond is home to some 35,000 people and folks downwind were advised to close their windows and bring pets inside. Temporary shelters were set up and provisions were being made for hotel rooms as the black cloud crossed the border into Ohio. According to the New York Times, the coal people are not pleased with the latest move by the EPA to tighten limits on mercury and other pollutants from power plants. A new rule would reduce mercury, arsenic, nickel, and lead emissions, which the Biden administration said would protect public health. The Biden administration said that it would require coal and oil fired power plants to reduce emissions of several hazardous air pollutants, including mercury, a neurotoxin that can cause developmental problems in infants and children. The proposed rule from the Environmental Protection Agency has two broad policy aims, reduce dangerous toxins in the environment while also encouraging the transition away from coal-burning power plants and toward cleaner energy sources like solar and wind. The proposal sets up a likely legal battle with the coal industry in several Republican-led states, which fought to block a previous effort to regulate mercury under the Obama administration. The Obama-era rule, which took effect in 2012, was credited with reducing mercury emissions by 90%. However, the EPA found that mercury coming from power plants still posed a risk to human health. So the new rule aims to strengthen the limits for mercury emissions from affected coal-burning power plants by 70%. It also would further restrict other toxic pollutants like lead, nickel, and arsenic. Michael S. Regan, the administrator of the EPA, said in a statement that the rule would not be expensive for plant operators to implement because of new technologies that are available for monitoring and controlling of emissions. Quote, By leveraging proven emissions reduction measures available at reasonable cost and encouraging new advanced control technologies, we can reduce hazardous pollution from coal-fired power plants, protecting our planet and improving public health for all, end quote, Mr. Regan said. The EPA estimated that the health benefits over the lifetime of the rule would be between $2.4 billion and $3 billion from the prevention of deaths or hospitalizations for respiratory and cardiovascular disease. The agency put the estimated cost to the industry of complying with the rule at between $230 million and $300 million. Morel mushroom time is here. There was a report that someone found over 48 morel mushrooms recently in Brown County. They are not easy to find. It is advisable to take a friend with you who knows how to find them. If you cannot find someone to help you, then here is how to go about it. First of all, never eat a wild mushroom unless you are 100% certain what it is. Morel lookalikes do exist. And don't nibble on raw morels, which have toxins that are destroyed by cooking. If you have a guidebook, take it with you. You never know when you might need it. Also, you need to learn the species of trees associated with morels. Hunting morels is often a matter of looking up for the right trees rather than in search of a brown thing down in the dirt. People around here tell me that you need to look for old apple trees. The weather has a lot to do with morel growth. They tend to pop up after a warm winter spring 
rain. Sorry, they tend to pop up after a warm winter spring rain. Summer rails are triggered by fire. So if you know of a burn site, you might want to check it out. Good luck with your hunt and happy eating. And don't tell anyone where you found them. The Herald Journal of Monticello reports that British Petroleum proposes carbon capture and storage in northern Indiana. In a series of open houses throughout the area, BP is bringing information and proposals to county governments and landowners for carbon capture and storage through a process that takes carbon emissions, processes them into liquid form, and pipes it thousands of feet underground to be stored forever. BP, which has an oil refinery in Whiting, is seeking permission from County Board of Commissioners to do seismic testing. The London-based company proposes using the geology in White, Jasper, Newton, Benton, Pulaski, and Lake Counties to store the carbon dioxide from its facilities in Whiting, as well as processing emissions from other manufacturers at depths of at least 3,000 feet in what is called Mount Simon Sandstone, which exists underneath Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. Plant the right plants and nature will come, says Doug Tallamy, co-founder of the conservation project Homegrown National Park. Local wildlife populations have co-evolved with their region's native flora. If you get rid of the plants that animals depend on, the entire ecosystem can fall out of whack. Going native can replace what we have taken. How you go native depends on where you live. Both Audubon and the National Wildlife Federation have handy native plant finders based on zip codes. Talk to your local nursery about what native plants it carries and be sure to ask for straight native, not nativars, which may carry attributes that make them less valuable, like nutritionally deficient color and altered blooming times. Native trees bundle long-lasting wildlife habitat with a host of other benefits, making these a high-impact choice in your yard. Oaks are rewilding superstars. Oaks are wildlife favorites that also sequester carbon, feed pollinators, and support healthy watersheds. Have you ever thought about putting up nesting boxes and bat houses on your property? One of the key aspects of a wildlife habitat is shelter. Cavity nesters, such as chickadees, need a safe, safe space to build their nest while dodging predators and the elements. Nesting boxes can also attract various bird species that may not come to your feeders but are searching for a dwelling place. The same idea extends to bat houses. Female bats need safe places to raise their young. When you provide them with a home, bats will eat mosquitoes, moths, and beetles in your yard and will be less likely to set up shop in your attic. If you aren't sure about welcoming bats, know that they usually only give birth to one pup a year. And the brush pile you have been meaning to get around to? Plenty of animals don't use cavities, so that brush pile is likely a fixture for creatures including sparrows, warblers, and bugs. So leave it be. And now we go to Zero Rose discussing the Indiana legislator, Legislature with Tim Maloney of the Hoosier Environmental Council, or HEC. We have with us today Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council. 
Tim leads the HEC's programs on forestry, land use, and public transit. He is also the council's principal emissary to the Indiana legislature. Uh, he served as executive director and national heritage director for HEC. He has also been chair of the Hoosier chapter of the Sierra Club, as well as field organizer for Sierra Club and National Clean Air Coalition. He was a founding member of the HEC board of directors and his bachelor's degree is in forensic studies and psychology, and that's from Indiana University. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Maloney. Sure, glad to be here. So um, I see that uh, some of the bills, you guys have a bill watch and you uh, put forth which things you support and which things you oppose. And I see that some of that came back around on the 10th earlier this week. Is there any uh, victories that uh, happened this week that you wanna highlight? One uh, positive item is a uh, bill that would enable the establishment of watershed development commissions around Indiana. Uh, these would be uh, watershed-based planning groups uh, made up of, of local government bodies in, in an effective watershed along a particular stream or river. Uh, and uh, we think that has a promise to improve uh, in the long-term stewardship of our waterways. Uh, there are a few similar watershed commissions already in existence around Indiana. And um, in, in many respects, they've done some good work. There's a similar commission along the Kankakee River in Northwest Indiana, along the St. Joseph River in Northern Indiana, and along the Maumee River in in Fort Wayne and, and the surrounding areas. So uh, it's, a, it's a tested idea, this, this bill, this is House Bill 1639. It, it tends to um, modify how these commissions might work, but it's wholly voluntary. No set of, of communities are required to participate, but it gives them a vehicle to do that if they choose to do so. So that's, that is a, a positive bill. Uh, there's another good bill related to waterway protection that is on its way to become law, and that is House Bill 1304. And this is a bill to increase the fee that boat owners pay into the Indiana Lake and River Enhancement Fund. And that fund is used to pay for projects that improve our waterways. It can be anything from bank stabilization to other projects to, to control erosion, to do feasibility studies on what type of restoration activities may need to happen on a waterway that's having trouble. It can help pay for log jam removal uh, as long as it's done in a um, an environmentally friendly fashion. So that's a very good program. There's great demand for funding through the Lake and River Enhancement Program. So this would raise the revenue that's available to fund these grants that um, really any community or group of interested landowners could apply for these funds throughout Indiana if they want to do some work to improve their local waterway. So that's a good bill and that we expect that to become law. There's another bill that's on the harmful side of waterway protection and management. That's Senate Bill 242 that would limit the use of new floodplain maps developed by the Indiana DNR 
Typically, floodplain mapping is done by the Federal Emergency Management Agency. They, they're the agency that launched the nationwide effort to map floodplains, and they have done that all over the country, including in Indiana, but they have not had the capacity to map all our floodplains. And of course, knowing where floodplains are helps guide guide local development activities because you want to keep uh, structures and people out of out of flood prone areas um, for safety reasons and for financial reasons. Federal dollars for uh, for flood damages if that happens, as long as they're trying to to protect their floodplains and and uh, keep incompatible development out of those. So anyway, the state of Indiana several years back started its own program to map more of our state floodplains, and they were using the latest technology, what's known as LIDAR technology, to help map where our floodplains are and also acknowledging that the increase of precipitation from climate change is going to also affect the size and scale of our floodplains around Indiana. So uh, a very uh, positive project, but those new DNR floodplain maps that supplement the federal ones have been used in local uh, planning and permitting decisions. And now there is pushback from landowners and communities who are concerned about finding out they have floodplains where they weren't aware they actually existed. And uh, so the legislature is about to pass a bill that would uh, restrict the use of these new DNR maps. And that's that's definitely a setback and uh, and just not a sensible approach to planning. One of the priorities we're working on here in, in this week and the week and the weeks before. Uh, there is a bill moving through the General Assembly, House Bill 1623, that would be a, a far-reaching reform of how our state agencies adopt uh, rules and regulations. And if you know anything about how, if your listeners know anything about how, you know, um, laws and regulations work together, and this is this happens either both at the federal level and at the state level. Uh, the uh, the elected legislatures, like the Indiana Legislature or the U.S. Congress, uh, pass laws that set overarching policy, and then they uh, instruct the appropriate agencies to adopt regulations that implement those policies passed in laws, and that. That's a and, routine. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And this is the bill that uh, uh, says not to pass anything more stringent than the federal. Yes, that's exactly correct. And um, uh, so that, um, so like I was saying, this would reform how our agencies uh, adopt those rules. It would give the General Assembly even more oversight and. Um, also require additional steps and uh, activities by the agencies before they can finalize an agency rule, including a very uh, detailed regulatory analysis, um, more uh, more public comment opportunities, which is actually one of the 
one of the good things in the bill, but the the harmful things outweigh that that added transparency. But like you said, it has language uh, that affects both um, uh, proposed new Indiana rules to govern coal ash disposal facilities, uh, which is a big environmental problem through Indiana. These these leaking surface impoundments where coal ash was dumped for decades are contaminating groundwater at virtually every power plant site in Indiana. And the state was, uh, as directed by the state legislature two years ago, was uh, in the process of writing new rules to regulate these coal ash facilities. And um, uh, because the federal uh, coal ash rule has gaps in it. The state of Indiana rules were going to fill in those gaps with existing regulations from our landfill regulations. And uh, that's what triggered the language in this bill to say Indiana could not do anything more stringent than the federal government on coal ash regulation or even take action where the federal government does not uh, regulate a particular aspect of of coal ash disposal. So um, that's in the bill. And then there was also recently language added to impose similar limitations on the state's uh, oversight of pesticide application. The pesticides use in Indiana is regulated by the uh, by this Indiana State Chemist and the Pesticide Review Board. And this this bill now has language that calls into question the rules that they've adopted to try to, uh, you know, set standards for the safe use of pesticides. And I know probably a lot of listeners would rather see us not have any pesticide use. And there's um, uh, certainly a, a, an argument for that. But, uh, you know, as things stand now, uh, it is legal but regulated both at the federal level and at the state level, yet you know, our General Assembly is proposing to limit those rules, which are just, a, or which are about, you know, making sure that as best as possible, these pesticides are used safely uh, to protect uh, human health, to protect, uh, you know, water quality and protect uh, the animals that might be impacted or insects or pollinators that might be Im impacted by pesticides and also it actually helps the food production industry because some pesticides applied in one place can be harmful to uh, to valuable crops or uh, or trees in other places. So um, there are a lot of reasons to have sensible and effective oversight of pesticide use, and this would set that back. So. I mean, we could go on and on in talking about this bill. It's it's uh, far-reaching. Uh, it's uh, the the consequences are not well understood. Uh, yet the legislature is rushing to to make this happen. So that's something that we're pushing back strongly on. So yeah, it seems basically designed to halt any progress in any area, and some of those organic farmers are having their crops contaminated. That's a common problem with pesticide drift that affects the neighboring 
folks, and even, you know, it definitely is, is harmful for organic growers, but even other commercial growers who may have a different type of, you know, crop that uh, is not, is harmed by a particular pesticide that may be thought to benefit, you know, one type of production, yet it will harm another kind. So, I mean, you can have, you know, commercial non-organic um, agricultural interests fighting with, with each other over, you know, harm caused by pesticide drift. And, but, and clearly it's, uh, it's harm to organic producers as well when, when they are affected. So it, it, it's really a lot of broad implications just with that pesticide language that is, again, ill-considered and being rushed through. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. To hear Zero's full interview with Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director of the HEC, you can find it online as an Eco Report Extra at WFHB.org. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Learn about the beauty of bluebell bluebirds at Brown County State Park on Saturday, April 15th from 11 to 11.45 a.m., Meet in the auditorium at the Nature Center for a presentation detailing the amazing life and habits of the eastern bluebird. Join the Indiana DNR for a free guided hike at the Donaldson Cave Nature Preserve at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, April the 16th, beginning at 10 a.m. This will be a one-hour hike both on and off the trail. Meet at the Donaldson Cave parking lot. Registration is recommended. Join the naturalist at Brown County State Park on Thursday, April 20th from 3 to 3.45 p.m. for a wildflower walk. Learn about late spring and early summer wildflowers as you walk through the nature center gardens and woods. Celebrate Earth Day with a spring 5K run or walk at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, April the 22nd, beginning at 8.30 a.m. The race takes place on paved roads through the park. Register at https colon forward slash forward slash friends org forward slash spring race. Spring Mill State Park will have an Earth Day celebration beginning at 10 a.m. on Saturday, April 22nd, a day filled with fun activities, crafts, and hikes, teaching you all about the importance of our natural resources.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy, Zero Rose, and Juliana Daly. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Kate Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script and was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Kate Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.